We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The hottest next tape you'll find online. Next all day. We bleed blue and orange. This is Knicks Fan TV, your one-stop shop for the ultimate New York Knicks fan experience. News, rumors, debates, post-game live streams featuring live callers. Let's go Knicks, baby! And now, your host, CP, the NY Fanatic. Yo, what's good, Knicks Nation? Alex Jeteris here, a.k.a. the Tratocaster, back again with another Game of the Week preview. We are previewing once again. We are also oh blessed to have this. The New York Knicks facing the Cleveland Cavaliers. They'll be out in Cleveland on Saturday, playing at 6 p.m. And who better to break this game down? None other than Chris Fedor, returning guest. If you don't remember, he's a Cavs and NBA beat reporter for Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. And you can also find him on 92.3 The Fan as, well, as the host. Chris, my man. We're at it again, breaking this game down. Last time we were just, it was just a regular, you know, fourth, fourth season, uh, fourth game meeting during the regular, yep. regular season. And, uh, you know, thankfully my team came out victorious. You know, we saw Mitchell and Brunson go toe to toe, but how are you doing? And uh, how are you feeling about this playoff series? In the words of Jared Allen from earlier today, there was no defense played in that game whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> no Jared Allen, no Isaac Okoro, no Julius Randle. A little watered down in terms of a regular season matchup. For sure. But I'm doing great, man. It's been a great couple of days getting ready for what's to come here in the playoffs. And it's great that uh, the Cavs are back there for the first time since 2018. You can feel the buzz around the city in a different kind of way. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, uh, and it's, it's the same for Knicks fans, man. There's just a buzz. There's like... For New York, because we were in the playoffs two seasons ago, it was just a surprise. Um, didn't really know how far we were going to go. A lot yeah. of us, I want to say a lot of us, some of us believed that we could take down the Hawks and then obviously saw the what happened then where the Hawks just were able to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. But this is a better team for New York, so there's even more excitement, much younger talent, um, just better talent. That's like mm-hmm. by far better talent. And I'm sure for, for, for Cavs fans, it's the same thing. You're looking at a team that they were in the plan last year. Now you get a boost with Donovan Mitchell. So there's got to be some sort of excitement. So really a good collision course with uh, both fan bases just being and for their teams. Both teams just having much improved talent. And here we are, you know, and, and we got to start off with the big storyline. We're, you know, we're, we're going to do things a little different around here. We're going to go three storylines, one for three for the Knicks, three for the Cavs, and mm-hmm. we can alternate just so we can break this stuff down. But I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off because the first storyline is going to be should the Knicks gotten Donovan Mitchell, right? <laughs> and based, based on how – I just got to just gotta rip the Band-Aid off so that way we can just be fresh. It's like – because that's what all the pundits are going to say. Yeah. Oh, should the Knicks have traded everything, the, the house, the kitchen sink, to get Donovan Mitchell in-house? Look how he's going for whatever, 30, whatever points. And that's going to be the storyline throughout this entire thing. And I get it. I'm going to be sick of it because I'm happy with where this team is. But I, I just know that's what it is going to be. That's what's going to be circling around this team, this, this entire series. What, what do you think about that one? I'm going to preface it. And I'm going to say that I understand why the Knicks took the decision um, that they did. And they wanted to hang on to some of their pieces and that's completely understandable because the situation that they were in, the position that they were in as a franchise was a little bit different than the one that the Cavs were in. 
Like the Cavs had established all-star Darius Garland, established all-star Jared Allen. Um, their contracts align well, the timeline aligns well, and they have Evan Mobley, who could be the best, most talented of the entire core four, right? So they had those pieces already, and they were in a position where they could give up Ochai and Colin Sexton and Lowry Markinen and feel like it wasn't going to impact their future as much or their present as much. But yes, the Knicks should have done that deal for Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is an MVP candidate. Donovan Mitchell is one of the premier players in the NBA. And the thing that I think is very hard to quantify, Al, is just a level of belief that Donovan brings to an organization. If you go back to when he was drafted by the Utah Jazz, like they were coming off some down years. They weren't at the very, very bottom, but they were coming off some down years. And they bring him aboard. And he helps lead the Jazz to five straight playoff appearances. He becomes a three-time All-Star in Utah. And when you have that kind of guy on your side, you feel like different things are possible, right? And that's the belief that the Cavs have gained by trading for Donovan. And again, I don't know how to quantify that. I don't know how many wins that's worth. But there's a different level of belief in that locker room that they can do things at a high, high level. They can make a deep run in this year's postseason. Even with as many inexperienced young guys as they have, they believe they can make a deep run because that dude is on their side and that dude has been there, done that. And that dude is playing at an MVP level. And when you have a guy like that for a seven-game series, it completely changes the complexion of everything. Yeah, I totally hear you on that. And trust me, I was part of the fan base that wanted the Knicks to trade for him. But once I saw what the package was or the 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 rumor package which was either RJ quickly and, and the draft picks and then I saw what the Knicks would have had to compete with with Cleveland when you send out Laurie Markinen who's mm-hmm. probably going to win most improved this season you know who is also an all-star this year Colin Sexton who's been a good bench player for for Utah as well you know you look at Agbaji who's been a decent decent draft pick yeah. that the the Jazz were able to acquire from Cleveland and when I look at that, plus the three first-rounders, plus the pick swaps, I'm like, in order for New York to compete with that, they would have had to send out quickly RJ, probably Grimes, and then match those assets. And I'm like, when I look at this team and think about where they are this season and then not having those guys and just having Donovan Mitchell, I totally understand. The talent of Donovan Mitchell is a guy who can elevate this team to, 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 to levels that we're not even sure of, right? And mm-hmm. he's still so young in his career. Right. But to see that the Knicks are just one seed behind Cleveland right now while still retaining their guys gives me confidence saying, you know what, I'm still happy that that deal didn't happen because of the amount of assets that they had that they would have had to shell out. And now that you talk about a team that has 10 first-round draft picks plus the guys that they have, maybe there's something better on the market, especially when they didn't really get a good talent evaluation last season out of these young guys. You know, we we're talking about Alec Burks, Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker, mm. other players in front of them, and you couldn't really get an idea of who these young players are, and maybe you were selling low on them. Now, it's now, especially if you look at someone like Emmanuel quickly, you could be selling high. So mm-hmm. I'm happy with where the Knicks are right now, and I totally understand about getting Donovan Mitchell. But hopeful for me right now, I'm not even thinking about that as like a storyline, but I know that the pundits are going to be thinking about that because Donovan Mitchell, all-star, you know, he's going to be all NBA this season. He's having one of his best careers possible, especially being out in Cleveland, you know, averaging 28 points per game right now Mm -hmm. and and shooting uh, 38% from three. He's averaging close to 50% from the field, getting you four over four assists, four rebounds, averaging one and a half steals. Dude is just amazing on the court. But I have to ask you a question. Yeah. What do you think is the Knicks organizational ceiling as, as we move forward here? Not just for this year, but as we move forward here. I think it depends. See, the good thing about what they did with keeping their assets is uh-huh. that I think there's a, even more possibilities this offseason. So okay. I think they're going to get a better evaluation of all the guys. And, you know, you're going to lead it actually to another storyline of mine. And I want to hear like one of the Cavs storylines going into this game before we go into that one. but. You know, I think after this, after this playoff series, there's going to be more certainty in what they need to do this offseason. So as uh, as the front office, I think th- if you're asking, could this team be a championship level contender? 
in the next couple of years, maybe it all depends on, you know, do you keep guys like Emmanuel quickly? What's the next yeah. step for Quentin Grimes? Right. But I think as of right now, you give these guys another year. I think they're we're talking about a good playoff, uh, just a good playoff team. Like they'll constantly make the playoffs. You realize that if you guys had Donovan Mitchell, that answer would be completely different, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So but like the, that's that's the hard thing, right? You've got the unknown and you've got the internal improvement that can happen, potentially happen, with quickly with Grimes, with Barrett. And then on the other hand, you've got the guy who you know, when you bring him to your organization, he raises that ceiling. The Cavs went from a 44-win team, a play-in tournament team, to a legitimate contender in the Eastern Conference, one of three teams in the NBA to be top 10 in offense and top 10 in defense, second in the NBA in net rating, second in the NBA in point differential. They're thinking bigger things moving forward, especially when you have the other young guys around him And that's the impact of Donovan. It wasn't just for this season, right? It's the organizational ceiling has been lifted and they feel like there's a contention window here for another three to five years or as long as Donovan's going to be here. And when you're a team like the Cavs and you can't go out in free agency and you can't acquire guys like that and you're probably not going to be picking high in the draft because of some of the other young players that you have and some of the other wins that you can compile along the way, like you make that deal. You have to make that deal because that's your best path um, to getting to that level. But to your point, maybe the Knicks can find a way to get to that level, a different way to, to get to that level. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, uh, the, the phrase goes, even though I have two cats, there's many ways to skin a cat. So, yeah. <laughs> so with my, that being the first storyline for like the Knicks standpoint, what's one storyline for the Cavs? I think one thing that they're really paying attention to in, in this particular series is, <laughs> is Julius going to play? And if Julius does play for the Knicks, like how effective is he going to be? Because you know this, Al. There is a difference between being able to play and being effective while playing through injury. Mm-hmm. And if Julius can be the Julius that he was during the regular season – and he can be the all-NBA type forward, the all-star forward, then that changes some things, right? The Cavs have even talked over the last couple of days that when Julius plays, the Knicks function one kind of way. And when he doesn't play, they function a different kind of way. So which Knicks team are they going to have to prepare for in this particular series? The mystery surrounding that is making it a little bit complicated, to be honest with you. Yeah, and look, we just had word from Steve Popper today. He, I should say, not word, but he reported that uh, Randall still hasn't been cleared for contact. Right. But he's, uh, he's been running at full speed. So take that for what you will. It seems <laughs> his ankle's doing better. Uh, obviously, you want to hear that he can play through contact because yeah. his game is predicated on contact. He's a right. physical player. He likes to work in the post. He can get downhill very well. He can shrug off defenders. Um, that's how he plays. And, you know, we talked about this on Nick's weekly uh, earlier this week, where my thing for Julius is that working, having an injured ankle and he's not the most hyper explosive player, but he still needs that strength and stability in order to be grounded and push guys around. And if he can't do that effectively, I wonder how, if that's going to impact his thought process because some guys, you know, as you know, you, you cover the NBA for, for quite some time, guys who are injured, you know, they will go out there thinking that they're 110%. And then when they're not, they're going to get frustrated. They'll get in their own head. They'll start to do things that they're not usually, you know, they're, they're, they just start performing in a different manner and and it's just becomes more frustrating. You you can see it like on the court where they're just, irritated that they're not right. getting the shots that they're used to. So that like, is why something can't my body for. allow me to do the things that in my head I should be able to do. Exactly. And for somebody like Julius who wears his heart on his sleeve, that concerns me because I don't want him to feel that I don't want him to be frustrated just because the game's mm-hmm. not coming into him that he's been accustomed to for 90% of this season. You know, for me, I, I need him to recognize the double teams. I need him right. to be more facilitated if he can't. But if he can still figure out how to adjust his game being injured, mm-hmm. not being at 100%, that's what I'll be looking at as well for this game. That's actually something I had written down for, for the storyline, too. It's like, will he be ready? Right. Um, 
And the other thing to consider along those lines, the Cavs' two best defenders and two of the best defenders in the entire NBA, one of them is probably going to get first place votes for defensive player of the year, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Like playing against those guys when you are 100% is tough enough, right? Mm-hmm. That is an imposing front line. It's the best defense in the NBA in large part because of those two guys. Evan Mobley has been great in terms of defending out on the perimeter and in the post. He's been really, really good in terms of isolation situations, something that the Knicks rely on heavily. And Jared Allen, you know, he can hold his own as well. He's not as physical as Julius. He's not as strong as Julius. But dealing with those guys when you're 100% is tough enough. And now if you're less than 100%, having to play against those two guys for a majority of the time that you're going to be out there on the floor, that is not an easy task. Yeah, and so let's break that. Let's break up that. Let's break that matchup down. You know, between Randall and Mobley, because mm-hmm. that is one of my key matchups for this game. Uh, Randall, he's our second best player on this team. Yep, he's our All Star. He's going to get All NBA just how he's been performing this season. He's become a three point shooter, solid rebounder for us. He's a facilitator. Um, you need him at. We need the Knicks need him at a hundred percent in order for them to be the effective isolation scoring team that they have been this entire year. And you talked about it, Evan Mobley, solid defender. I mean, he's a seven-footer playing power forward. So that for, for Randall, you know, I wrote this in my recent article for KnicksFanTV.com. If Randall's not healthy and he's got to go up against a seven-footer, height advantage is going to play, play a factor considering he's 6'8". Okay? And if he can't get that step back jumper, if he can't utilize his spin move, if he can't get the positioning to, to move Mobley around because he's going to feel some sort of pain, I'm concerned about that um, going, just because of how good of a defender Mobley is. Yep. So I guess my question for you is like, do you still see, like, how does Mobley defend? How, how is he a good defender? Is he using, is he, is he a physical guy? Is he just using his, his length when he's out there on the floor? What type of defender is he? I think, Al, the thing that makes him so special is that he's good at everything. You know, there are certain guys in the league where you look at them and say, like, that is an elite rim protector, but maybe he can't switch on the guys and hold his own out on an island on the perimeter. That is an elite rim protector, but he can get bullied in the post. That's an elite rim protector, but he doesn't really contest shots out on the perimeter, whatever the case may be. Um, Evan Mobley is an elite rim protector. He's an elite weak side help defender. He is an elite switch man. He is an elite perimeter defender. That's the thing that makes him so special. There isn't an area on the court where he doesn't thrive on the defensive end. Um, There isn't a situation in a game where he's going to get played off the floor in a specific matchup. He can handle centers. He can handle point guards. He, he can truly guard one through five. And look, there are moments throughout the course of a game or throughout the course of the season where he's a little bit overmatched physically. Joel Embiid beat him up a little bit. Rudy Gobert beat him up a little bit. He's 21 years old. He's still maturing physically. So yeah, I think Julius has a little bit of bulk on him. He's got some strength on him as well. But it hasn't shown up as a glaring weakness for Evan, despite the fact that he is still developing physically. So that's how he's great. Um, and I think you're going to see all of that throughout the course of this seven-game series. There are times, Al, that he's going to switch on to Jalen Brunson, and he's going to try and handle him in isolation situations. There are times where he's going to switch on to R.J. Barrett, and he's going to deal with that matchup. There are other times where he's going to try and battle Julius in the post or Mitchell Robinson in terms of his his dunks and his lob threats at the rim off of pick and rolls or pick and pops or things like that. So Evan's going to guard pretty much everybody on the team at one point or another. It's funny because like I looked at it um, throughout the course of the year in matchup data, like Evan guarded Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, just from the Knicks. And then it was Jimmy Butler. It was Bam Adebayo. It was Trey Young. So there's not a player on the court that Evan um, cannot handle a matchup against. It doesn't mean that he's always going to get the best of the other person in that matchup, but it, it's it's a position where he'll at least be comfortable in that matchup. So for Evan offensively, what's you know what's his game? Because I would expect that he's 
you know, I from what I've seen, he's got a decent jumper. Mm. He kind of works from like that 15 foot in. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about going up against somebody like Randall and someone who's going to be more physical. Yeah. Is Mobley a type of guy that, you know, can can really work the post and, and throw his body around? I mean, he can, but that's not the strength of his game right now. Um, but look, if there's a mismatch, he can capitalize on that. He mm-hmm. can attack that. He can go to his left hand. He can go to his right hand. He's been working on this fadeaway jumper, very Kevin Garnett-like, actually, which has come as the season has progressed. He likes to operate from the elbow in. Um, he likes to face up. He's got some great playmaking in his background because he grew up as a guard. Um, so I think the way that you're probably going to see Evan used a lot throughout the course of this series, if the Knicks decide to throw two at Donovan or Darius to try and get the ball out of their hands, it's going to be Evan as the one who's kind of like the playmaker in a four on three situation or the guy who takes the pocket pass coming off of a pick and roll. And, and that's something that he has gotten better at, more comfortable at. As the season has gone on, J.B. Bickerstaff even said recently that at this stage of Evan's career, he's like one of the best bigs that he's ever been around in terms of playing out of the pocket. So I would expect him to explore that a lot throughout the course of the series. But he's not the traditional get me in the post, back to the basket, and just let me go to work. There's so much more to his offensive game than that. See, I think that favors Randall because I think – well, I know one of Randall's weaknesses is comes to guarding the three-point shot. So for for someone like Mobile who doesn't work doesn't stretch the four like that, mm-hmm. I think that's going to play into Randall's defensive scheme, especially with that injured angle. You know, not having to cover yeah. that much ground, staying around the rim, being able to still impact the boards. That's how I'm looking at this matchup on the other side for Julius. Because look, he's a sol- he's a solid rebounder. We're talking about ten rebounds a game when ta- when Mitchell Robinson was out. Julius Randle was stepping up, eating up boards, getting putbacks. And that's another aspect of his game that I think is under the radar that not many teams look for, but that's just who, who Julius is. He's just, you know, a physical specimen when it comes to just his strength for his size and his mobility. So once again, it just goes to the importance of having him back on the court. Yeah. But going to another storyline that I'm, I'm looking at <laughs> for the Knicks, it's R.J. Barrett. Uh, mm. to, to be honest with you. And, and I'm looking for RJ to bounce back. He's had an up and down season and I'm looking at it from the Cavs perspective. Who's he guarding? You know, if, if the Knicks try to hide Jalen Brunson on Isaac Okoro, right. and I saw, I saw you tweeting out uh, Okoro take some jump shots today. So yep. that'll be interesting to see if Okoro's back. Um, he'll be back. He'll be back. Okay. So if if Brunson's on a on a coral, I'm looking at RJ defensively guarding either Garland or Mitchell, and mm-hmm. most likely it's going to be Garland, just because they're going to put Grimes when he's starting out on the best perimeter player, right. which is Donovan Mitchell. That's an area for for me that I, I'm concerned about because getting downhill, offensively, that'll be good. I'll look for the Knicks to get Donovan or or, or Garland switched onto RJ, so that way he can get a full head of steam. But defensively, having to guard one of those two quick guards, especially mm. Garland, that's that's my concern. I love the dynamics of this series, Al. The Knicks want to live in the paint. They want to attack the paint off the dribble, and the Cavs want to protect the paint at all costs. And that's how their defense is designed. And they've given up a lot of threes throughout the course of the season, and teams have hit like 15 to 18 in certain stretches against the Cavs. Like, look at what the Knicks did in the most recent meeting. Again, it's not a great gauge because Isaac wasn't there and Jared Allen wasn't there for the Cavs and Julius wasn't there for the Knicks. But they've been known to give up big nights from three-point range because the Cavs are so adamant in terms of protecting the paint. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fascinating that you have these kinds of styles that are clashing against each other and which style is going to win out when it comes to that. You know, there aren't a lot of teams that have been able to attack the pain against the Cavs consistently. There aren't a lot of teams that are going to win that area on a nightly basis. Like, it's happened every now and then. But over a seven-game series, it's, it's hard to see that happening. And I'm fascinated to see, like, what kinds of counters the Knicks are going to try or what kinds of changes they're going to make offensively 
to try and combat the fact that, you know, the Cavs have two seven footers that are elite defenders waiting in the paint. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned how the Cavs like to protect the paint in all four matchups. The, the, the Knicks have won the rebounding battle yes. too. So yes. that's a big be, deal. Yeah. That, that, that's going to be something to look out for. Granted, you mentioned that in the last matchup, there's no Allen and throughout this entire season, players were missing. Somebody yep. was missing throughout all these right. matchups. Uh, but that is definitely something to, to, to look at. I think the one thing that I'm going to be interested in for the Knicks is their three-point shooting. Because after, the, after playing the Celtics yep. uh, the last time back in March, their three-point shooting took a dip. Yep. And one, that's because Jalen Brunson, who's a 40% three-point shooter, wasn't on the floor. He's been, he was in and out of the lineup. Julius, who's been a solid three-point shooter, took a dip. RJ, who was hovering around 34% at one point, started shooting close to 20% uh, from three. So, and, and you had Quinton Grimes, who, was, who didn't find his rhythm, yet, now got into a groove before the season ended. So for the Knicks, we need the three-point shooting. And I think to combat, you know, you talk about the pain presence, it's guarding the three. It's, you know, for the Cavs, they have to be guarding the three. Yep. And the Knicks having to knock him down, which, funny enough, the Knicks have a hard time guarding the three. And yet you got some good three-point shooters on your side, you know, whether it's Mitchell, uh, you know, Garland yeah. or, or uh, City Ozman. Like, these are guys that I'm like, this, you talk about a matchup nightmare for like one another. It's like, really, it, this is going to be a good clash to see yeah. what happens. The other thing that I'm looking at from a Cavs perspective, Al, is we've talked about Emmanuel quickly before. Um, and we've talked about the Cavs bench and the problems that they've had with their bench throughout the course. I'm a little hurt, the Chris. Uh, you know, uh, just just to interrupt, I'm a little hurt because <laughs> as soon as as soon as you said that you voted for Malcolm Brogdon, I was getting added, DM'd because <laughs> people tune into this show, man. I know people tune into this show, and, and yeah. people were like, "Yo, he chose Brogdon. He chose Brogdon. He chose Brogdon." I was like, "Oh." Man, I was questioning, should I retweet you with a funny gif? I was like, let me hold off for the show because I knew you were coming on. Come on, Chris. We had the entire conversation. What happened over here? (laughs) I was wondering if you were even going to let me back on the show after I tweeted that out. Hmm. Well, here you are. You know, I thought my spamming you of all those emails, like a New York City club promoter, what felt like leaflets all over the ground was going to do some work, but instead... You just leave me high and dry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Come on. Man. I had to go with my head. I had to go with what I truly believed. That's how I vote. Okay. I put him okay. second. Does that do anything for you? No. <laughs> that does not do anything for me. <laughs> Come on, man. I want to see my guy win. I, I know. I get it. The guy it. who I lives think... in Boston, I have to hear Celtics fan talk about Brogdon every single day. This is, this is, this is, this is not what I needed. Not what I, I think needed. it's going to be a close vote. Got to be honest with you. Definitely will be a close vote. Definitely be a close vote, but uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. <laughs> you were talking about quickly and the bench. Yeah, I mean, like, as, as good as the Cavs starting five has been throughout the course of the season, like, the Knicks starting five is the most productive starting group in the entire NBA. So, like, you, you're not going to sit here and say, well, they're going to cancel each other out because it's not a math problem like that. But I feel like the Knicks starters can hang enough with the Cavs starters and make it so it's not as much of a disparity. And then you start thinking about the others. You know, Danny Green was talking about it the other day. J.B. Bickerstaff was talking about it the other day. The quote-unquote others, like who else is going to step up and take some of that pressure off of Darius and Donovan in the backcourt, right? Who else is going to step up and fill some of those minutes for the starters when they're going to be out there on the bench? Um, the Cavs have the third lowest scoring bench in the entire NBA. It's a bench that continues to get outplayed every single time the Cavs go to it. So obviously, JB's going to mix and match. He's going to stagger Darius and Donovan, make sure one of them is on the court at all times. But like, can Karis LeVert and Ricky Rubio and Jetty Osman and Dean Wade and some of these other guys that are going to get an opportunity throughout the course of this series? Can they give the Cavs enough production to supplement what they're expecting to get from their starting lineup? I asked Karis LeVert earlier today. I said, like, what's your responsibility in dealing with the Knicks bench, which is led by a guy who could be sixth man of the year? 
And he was like, I've heard that all week from everybody. Everybody Hmm. is asking me the same kind of question. So obviously the Cavs understand that their bench has been up and down throughout the course of this year. And they understand what's coming for them from the second unit of the Knicks in this series. And they've got to find a way to not lose grip of the rope when their number is called. And for the Cavs, what do they have? A nine? What do they go? Nine? Ma- nine They'll go eight. They'll they, go eight, gonna, I bet. They're going to go eight? I so think so. Gonna, okay, so they're going to reduce. Shoot, who, they who, might even go seven on some nights. Mm, so who would, they, who would be out of the rotation then if they go uh, seven or eight? Um, so that's the thing. Like, eight is going to fluctuate. Throughout the course of the series, it fluctuated throughout the course of the regular season. It's going to be dependent on um, matchup. It's going to be dependent on game situation. It's going to be dependent on style. It's going to be dependent based on what the Cavs need. And and the four guys in the mix for those minutes, Dean Wade, Jetty Osman, Lamar Stevens, and Danny Green, like none of them bring everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, do the Cavs need some size to combat, you know, Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle, Hartenstein, and what those guys can do on the glass? And they pounded the Cavs on the boards in the most recent meeting. And like you said, Jared Allen wasn't there. But the Cavs were minus 15 on the boards and minus 13 on the offensive end. So if they need more size, then they're going to go to Dean Wade because he's six foot ten. Like, if Isaac Okoro can't be effective guarding Jalen Brunson because he's still dealing with this achy knee or he's in foul trouble, then they might go with tenacious defender Lamar Stevens. Um, do they need some shooting and some floor spacing? Then they're going to go with Jetty Osman. Do they need, like, experience, maturity, know-how in a postseason series, a change of pace, a spark plug off the bench, somebody who can just bang threes? Then they're probably going to go with Danny Green, right? So it's all going to be dependent on that. And I've said this before, like if your name's not Darius, Donovan, Isaac, Evan, Jarrett, Ricky, or Karis, like baked into your role is the fact that you may not play every single night or you may play one night and then sit for two games and then come back for game five or whatever the case may be. That's just the reality of the situation that the Cavs are in based on their roster construction. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And once again, we're talking to Chris Fedor. He is the Cavs NBA reporter for Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer. He's also the host at 92.3 The Fan. 
Now, Chris, you know, you're talking about the Cavs bench. For the for the Knicks, it's obviously Emmanuel quickly, you know, and, and this is why you should have right. this is why you should have chose Emmanuel quickly. Okay. <laughs> here right. we go. Because he I'm is just gonna that... sip some tea back here. <laughs> he is that two-way player, my man. He is that two-way player. Look. Without him on this Knicks team, as I as we discussed last time, I don't know where they would be. He's truly th- been that impactful this year. I mean, they've sh- been showing metrics all across the board, and most yeah. of them, if not all, he's just a positive player on right. the court, not only by the numbers, but when you just watch, that's just who he is. He, whether it's playing defense, fighting around screens, trailing uh, the ball handler just to, just to be a disruptor, you know, closing out on the three-point line or and if you talk about offensively he's a playmaker scorey and, and can just be a facilitator he's mm-hmm. all in one what you need and for the Knicks when you talk about bench units battling like you take off Jalen Brunson still confident with the man right, quickly out right. there for what he can do he could just he could score he could explode for 30 40 points so it's not like we're missing a beat and the fact that he's put on weight able to attack the lane, finish through contact. He's included yeah. a mid-range jumper. He's just become so versatile. And then you pair him with Josh Hart, who's also another playmaker, a guy who puts on his hard hat and does a little bit of everything. Yep. And you can see that in the stat sheet. With those two as your backcourt, I just find that to be the trouble for the Cavs, seeing how they're going to defend. Because if you still have to go to a seven-man, a seven-man rotation and mm-hmm. the Knicks can stay at eight or nine, mm-hmm. like you're talking about our starters getting rest. Yeah. So, and that's going to be a big thing throughout a seven game series. And with our bench unit being so impactful the way it's been, especially after the Josh Hart edition. Now, Isaiah Hartenstein has been involved in playmaking as well. Obi had a good outing towards the end of the season, showed his versatility, especially on offense. You add all that together and the way they're able to play at an up tempo pace, I just don't see how Cleveland's going to be able to one stop that and give their stars the amount of rest that's needed when those guys are out there, and especially if they're cooking. So I think for the bench and being led by Emmanuel quickly, this is it it, for the Knicks. This is definitely the, that's the win in the column, like on paper, obviously it's all got to play out on the court, but if you're talking about on paper, that's where I'm looking at right now. And you know, I guess one more one more storyline before we get into the, the big matchup of this game uh, is I'm going to be looking at Tom Thibodeau and seeing his mid-game adjustments because there's been times throughout this entire season uh, that he's let games go, just go haywire because he doesn't realize a player's either in a groove, um, doesn't necessarily know when to bring it, like the right rotation back in to close a game. And so for me, I need to see him be on high alert 24 seven throughout the entire game because a series can change within one game. It could be the first right. game right. and it's going to be a difficult challenge. It's going to be a difficult challenge. It's going to be a challenge for him to manage the Grimes quickly, RJ Hart uh, quad a quadruplet of just like figuring out who's going to close in that lineup because you're going to have Brunson. You're going to have Randall. You're going to have Isaiah Hartenstein or, or, or Mitchell Robinson, whoever closes, that's, that's fine. They've both been suitable. But then you also, I think quickly is just going to be a mainstay out there or Josh Hart. So it's like between Grimes, RJ, it's, it's going to be a difficult balance for him. Right. And I'm glad I'm not in that position because <laughs> having to make that decision with five minutes left in the game or even, or even more, is going to be challenging considering yeah. the opponent in the Cleveland Cavaliers who can just go off and just score. Even though the points aren't necessarily there, they're still a good scoring team. Like, I mean, Tibbs is an X factor, obviously, in this series. J.B. Bickerstaff has coached five games in the postseason as a head coach. That's not a lot of experience. And it's interesting, Al, because so many people talk about the Cavs' lack of experience in the playoffs. Darius has never been there. Isaac Okoro has never been there. Evan Mobley's never been there. Same thing with Lamar Stevens. Same thing with Dean Wade. Like a lot of the guys that they rely on on a nightly basis just don't know what to expect. They've never seen it before. They've never felt it before. They're going to go through it um, for the first time. And oftentimes when that's the case, you learn through failure. And that means there has to be some failure attached to it. 
but it extends to J.B. Bickerstaff. Five playoff games in his entire career, and the last time he was there was 2016. That's not a lot of experience. Like He's going to have to go up against Tibbs, who has a ton of experience. He's devised some of the best defensive game plans against some of the league's best scorers. And that is something that I don't know how JB makes up that experience gap, right? And and he's going to have to show some X's and O's chops. He's going to have to show like an ability to adjust quickly in games as opposed to between games. You know what I mean? Because when you're talking about a closely contested series where these two teams are very evenly matched, um, it can be the smallest thing that shifts a series one way or the other. It could be home court advantage, and the Cavs have that on their side. Or it could be Tom Thibodeau finding a way to create a little bit of a coaching gap between him and J.B. Bickerstaff. And a lot of people inside the Cavs organization, and myself included, just as an outside observer and somebody who covers this team on a daily basis, is really, really excited to see what J.B. can do when the lights are the brightest and there is a seven-game series. It's a chess match, and I'm really, really fascinated to see how he's going to handle it. Do you think there's some concern, whether it be amongst the fan base, front office, about JB's experience? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, for all of the things that he's really, really good at, and it's building a culture, and he's got his fingerprints all over this rise, um, the, the communication is great with him. Um, I think there are legitimate questions about his X's and O's, his tactics, the schemes that he can devise, whether he can make counters if the Knicks take away the Cavs' pick-and-roll heavy offense. All those things, you have to have questions about those, right? Because you just haven't seen it at the playoff level because it's only been five games. So if you're going into it without those questions, you're probably being naive. You know, he's not Eric Spolstra, right? Mm -hmm. He's not Greg Popovich. He's not Steve Kerr. He just doesn't have all of that experience. And sometimes in, in the playoffs, you need that experience. You need um, an understanding of, of what to expect, what works, what doesn't work, what has worked in the past, what hasn't worked in the past. All those different things, um, the edge from that standpoint goes to Tibbs. But, you know, JB can prove a lot here in this, in this playoff series for the Cavs. Absolutely. This will be a fun chess match indeed. We'll see. It's, you're talking about, and it's not just an experience for the coach, right? It's mm-hmm. a lot of the players too, right? Because oh. you talk about Evan Mobley, Jared yeah. Allen. Like even though Jared Allen was on the Nets team that made it to the playoffs, nine games, um, nine. It's still exactly nine games, and the same thing for the Knicks. Like even though Tibbs is this, you know, he's got the X's and O's, he's got the experience. Your players got to execute at the end of the day. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm looking at Quentin Grimes. I'm looking at Josh Hart. You know, Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, even Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett. Like, outside yeah. of Jalen Brunson, who went to the Western Conference Finals, this will also be Mitchell Robinson's first time, too. Yep. So, I think it will be, I think this is what makes this, this is the matchup I wanted because of the experience, the lack of mm-hmm. experience on both sides. Because mm-hmm. someone's going to come out here, a winner, we're going to see a lot of mistakes, which kind of makes for fun basketball. <laughs> I, I do like that, because the inexperience is like, Oh, they're gonna try and go for like some crazy dunk where it's like I don't know if you want to do stuff like that with like yeah. when you're only up by two or, you know, maybe call a, a, an out of timeout play that's like, did you really want to run that as an exit <laughs> like through an exit and O standpoint where you probably should have just gotten it to your guy and not made it too complicated. Oh. This is the type of stuff that will be fun to see because it's gonna have fans out of their seats just pulling their hairs mm. and it's also gonna have a pull. Opposing fans just screaming like, "This is our chance!" So it's it's really good for 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 a, a playoff environment. Yeah. Well, let's the last get down line to the... for the Cavs, Al. The other thing to watch here for the Cavs, uh, Darius Garland. He was in the play-in tournament mm-hmm. last year against Brooklyn and Atlanta, and with that group of personnel, he was targeted by both those teams. They're like, you know what? Mm-hmm. If somebody else is going to beat us, somebody else is going to beat us. But we're going to throw doubles. We're going to throw triples. We're going to blitz him. We're going to do everything that we can to try and make him as uncomfortable as possible. And he said the other day, he's like, I'm not going to see that because we got 45. Like Donovan's going to get all that attention. And there's part of me that wonders if Tibbs is going to kind of throw a curveball. 
and he's going to say, mm. yeah, I could try and load up and, and, and make things difficult on Donovan because he's the best player that the Cavs have. He's the most important player that the Cavs have. So I could do that because a lot of teams try to do that, right? Or I could say, like, he's got a bunch of playoff experience. There probably isn't something that I could devise at this point that he hasn't seen already. So mm. even if I give him extra attention, he may be better equipped to handle that. Let's test the young guy instead, right? Let's throw all of those different looks at Darius instead. Let's see his poise. Let's see um, how he handles that pressure. Let's see if we can create some turnovers. Let's test his decision-making. Because in the second play-in tournament game against Atlanta, Darius went 9 of 27 from the field, and he had five turnovers. Mm. It was a very un-Darius-like game. Mm. And he learned a lot from that, right? Like that was a level of pressure. That was a level of attention from a defense that he had never seen before. So I'm wondering if Tibbs is going to say he's more of the weak link. Let's throw something else at him that he hasn't seen before. And let's see if we can rattle him in a way that we probably can't rattle Donovan. That's 4D chess right there. I like that. Right? Yeah, that is. And it's kind of Bill Belichickian and being a Jets fan, I even hate using that term. But um <laughs> well, are you are actually are you a Browns fan? Yeah, born and raised. That's a so source. You should of also hate Bill Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> One day, you, maybe, possibly. You you too should hate Bill Belichick for for leaving the Browns yeah, well, high and dry and then going off to New England and doing also, uh, the job that he's done. That was also the Browns' own error, idiots. <sighs> I mean, look. He was a Jets head coach for not even a day. So yeah, I, know. I, I don't I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> We're talking about Knicks here and I'm happy about that. But that's that's a good that's a good point. That's a good point to see if Tibbs will go in that direction of, you know, let's go for the inexperienced guy. And that's that's why once again it's so fun because if he goes the way of saying, let's cha- challenge the other ball handler and see if he can figure out how to get downhill or how right, to navigate right, right. uh navigate the the pressure that Tibbs can draw up. That will also impact. So yep. I like that standpoint. But look, Chris, there's there's just one matchup we got to talk about. We got the storylines out of the way. We got one key matchup out of the way. We got the X factors out of the way. There's one matchup though, and that's the box office matchup of Jalen Brunson versus Donovan Mitchell. We yep. got a glimpse of it in the last game, even though it was a high scoring affair. We got to see these guys go toe to toe. Mm-hmm. And that alone has me excited to see, you know, it's not even part of the story. It's not even part of the storylines, but you know, he beat Jalen Brunson led the Mavs to defeat the Utah right. Jazz last season when Luca was out. And I know that's swirling around up there as can he do it again with the Knicks against the For Cavs? Sure. And even though that's not even really the thing I'm looking at. I'm looking to see can Brunson continue to can elevate his game when needed, right? Yep. And we saw that even though we saw him do that last year in the playoffs, it's another thing to do it again in another playoff series mm. and really to turn it on. And I'm not saying that he can't. I'm confident that he can, but it's just seeing him do that because yep. we already know what Donovan Mitchell can do. Don- Donovan Mitchell, it's like, it's like turning on a switch to a light. It's like, okay, playoffs is here. I can easily do that. Right. I want to see Jalen Brunson do that and really go toe-to-toe with, with Mitchell, and I'm confident he can. And I think the one area that I'll look for Brunson to really keep up with is his three-point shooting because yeah. Donovan is shooting, you know, to shoot 38% on over nine attempts per game. Right. That's high. That, that's incredible. Yep. Brunson's shooting 40, he's shooting over 40% on five attempts per game. Obviously, you're removing four, moving, removing four attempts is, is a drastic difference to keep up mm-hmm. with because that's how Donovan can get up to 40 points easily, knocking down so many threes, right? With his ability to drive the lane and finish around the rim. And we know Brunson, he can get into the paint, use his footwork and, and score, especially amongst the trees. But being able to keep up from the three point line with Donovan Mitchell will be key for Brunson and for the Knicks to stay in this game. So what are you looking for for Donovan in in this matchup? I mean, look, he's got to go shot for shot with Jalen Brunson. That's the reality of it. He's been outdueled by Brunson twice. 
once in a seven-game series, or what would have been a seven-game series against the Mavericks, and then the most recent meeting between the two teams. Donovan was great. Donovan was putting on a show Mm -hmm. in the first quarter. It was one of his best first-quarter performances um, in a Cavs uniform. It was one of the Cavs' best first-quarter performances, period, in franchise history. And yet you look up at the scoreboard and you're like, these dudes won't go away. Like Jalen Brunson's doing the same thing that Donovan's doing. So I think there is a part of Donovan that understands what he's up against in Jalen Brunson because he's seen it firsthand. He's not going to be surprised by anything that happens in this series with Brunson. He is the number one name on the Cavs scouting report. The Cavs believe in Isaac Okoro's ability to defend at a high level. Karis LeVert today called Isaac the best individual defender that he's ever played with or against, mm. uh, which is high praise and probably untrue, but he's gassing up his guy and that's okay. Um, and if you look at the numbers, like Isaac statistically has done a really good job in the meetings against Jalen Brunson, but we've seen Brunson take it to a different level, especially in the postseason. And the Cavs are going to have to find a way to limit him as much as possible. And Donovan, as, as weird as this sounds, like Donovan's going to, I think Donovan's going to have to win this series for the Cavs. I think he's going to have to be great for the Cavs to win this thing. Because it's hard to say what the Cavs are going to get from Darius. It's his first playoff foray. It's hard to say what Evan Mobley is going to give to the Cavs. Especially if he's going to have to deal with Julius Randle on the other end or try and keep mm-hmm. Mitchell Robinson off the offensive boards. You know what I mean? So, like, Donovan is the guy who has been there, done that. Donovan is the guy who is the money player. Donovan is the guy who has been on this stage before and thrived on this stage before. So he's got to be, based on the way that the Cavs are constructed and all of the questions that they have with their inexperience and with their their bench that has been up and down throughout the course of the year, like, Donovan has to be great for them to win. And everything that you just said is the same thing for Jalen Brunson. Yep. Everything. And once again, it just continues to add on to why this series is going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun. And I can't wait. I can't wait either. And I think it's the best series in the Eastern Conference, maybe in the NBA. Golden State Sacramento is pretty compelling. Sacramento is pretty compelling, um, but they gave – the Knicks and Cavs, 6 p.m. for a reason. Like, <laughs> there, there's, it's, I think the NBA is salivating just based on how the summer went. Yeah. These are now the two teams facing off in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. Adam Silver's up there, you know, in his executive chair swinging around. Yeah. You know, if he could have a cigar, he'd probably be smoking a cigar right now saying, you know what, everything played out well up until this point. Look at this. <laughs> I, got, I got a major market team yeah. going against – uh, the Cavaliers, who's been histor- who historically, you know, you had LeBron James, you got the championship, one of the best comebacks, being down three one in the final series like that, you can never take that away. Right, and it's like you're now bringing in, you're you're following up greatness with LeBron James with another great player, and so if you if you talk about storylines, this is just yep. it's it's Kawhi man, and who knows, this could be. I would love for it to be something like where you have like Knicks Bowls back in the day, because if that yeah. could be something that, that would be like, we need more rivalries. All right. We need more <laughs> rivalries in the NBA. I'm making that claim right now. Look, I love when the Suns and the Pelicans were going at it. We need more of that. We need more warriors and Grizzlies. We yeah, need right. more of that. We need more of that in the NBA. Warriors, Cavs. Yep. Yeah. Warriors, Cavs too. Yeah. We need Warriors, Cavs. Uh, like we need we need those type of we need those type of uh, we need those type of rivalries, Chris. We, we just need it. So, with all of that being said, yeah, I want your opinion on who's taking Game One and what do you think? Who's winning the series? I think Donovan's going to make sure that the Cavs win Game One. I think he understands the importance of the Cavs winning Game One, protecting home court, and Donovan has turned it to a completely different level as soon as the playoffs rolled around. I mean, he averaged 40-plus points in two April games, but he was playing at that level even going back to March because he understood, like, I've got to peak. I've got to be at my best going into that. I've got to lead these guys in a different kind of way. It's funny because, Al, when I covered LeBron, LeBron was notorious for being like, feel it out early in a series, 
and then figure out what I need to do for my team moving forward. And I think Donovan's going to take the opposite approach. I think he's like, you know what? I'm here to help these guys along the way. I got to go out and get this one. So I think the Cavs win game one. I think they protect home court. I think it's going to be absolutely bananas inside Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. And I think the Cavs win in seven in part because when I have what I see as a very, very evenly matched and competitive series, I tend to give the edge to the team that has home court. The Cavs have been one of the best teams in the NBA at home this year. Again, we talked about their resume. I think they can do enough offensively and enough defensively um, where they can hang with New York, um, even though there are some concerns that the Cavs have schematically in this particular matchup, especially on the boards and guarding the three-point line. But I think because the Cavs have home court, they find a way to win in seven. And if you get this to a game seven, I'll put my money on Donovan Mitchell. I'm going to go Knicks in seven. And I think the Knicks... In seven? They're going to win game seven in Cleveland? Yes. Yes. Because the Knicks are one of the best road teams in the NBA. Yep. And look, they went in. They look, I get that it's different. I get that there was no Jared Allen. I get that there was no Julius Randle. But the fact that you saw the Knicks, they were on a mission. They wanted to send a statement saying, we're no easy team that you can just right. pull up and, and just say, oh, we could take a night off. And you saw Donovan Mitchell had to go bananas. And he still, and the Knicks still came out victorious right. because Jalen Brunson with the same mindset saying, I got to lead this team. And I yeah. think Brunson is going to be. That guy and and for game one, I've obviously got to choose the Knicks. Like I'm not, I, I can't, I can't, I can't do, I can't do that. Chris, come on, man. You know, it's Knicks fan TV. How can I not puff out my chest and say the Knicks are not going to win game one? Come on, come on. It would have been the upset of the century if you would have said Cavs in game one, Cavs in seven. <laughs> so, I I'm saying. The Knicks are going to go on there because I think it's on a mission too. And like I, I'm looking at Jalen Brunson seeing, we don't know the status of Julius Randle right now. Yeah, if yeah. he's not playing, I got to give the favor to the Cavs if we don't have Julius Randle because Julius is much needed on this team. Yeah, yeah. But if he is, if he is there, and even if you have him out there as like a dummy, as like NFL teams do, like you put a player out there as a dummy, I think Brunson's going to have that mindset saying, we need to get this win because I don't know about Julius's health. Mm-hmm. And we got and we got to get our guys confident. And yeah. I think him being that leader for the young guys on this team who don't have that experience, I think he's going to that game looking at it like that and, and just saying, "We got to do this." Yeah. So, Chris, appreciate as always coming on and, and breaking these games down. But please let our listeners know where they can find you if you got anything coming up. Yeah, you can check out the website Cleveland.com/slash/Cavs. That's where all of my stuff migrates to. And then I post everything on Twitter as well. And my Twitter handle, at Chris Fedor. Nice and easy. Uh, a couple things that I've got coming up. It'll drop tomorrow. Just Karis Levert and his importance in this series and the Cavs bench in general and their responsibility in this series. And then down the road, I've got something on the bond between Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell and how it goes back years even before Donovan got here to the Cavs and just how they've made it work. Because if you remember, Al, there were a lot of questions about, oh, I don't know if it can work with Darius and Donovan and their two ball-dominant guards, and one of them's going to have to take a step back, and this is Darius's team, and this is Darius's offense. How that. is he going to handle it when an alpha comes in to take some of his shots and some of his playmaking responsibilities, all that kind of stuff? It's been great. It's been seamless. So I've got a big story on that coming up. Awesome. Uh, everyone wants to do that. Uh, how? It's only one basketball hugger. They did that with Chris Paul and James Harden, but well, right. that, that, that thing worked out until, uh, you know, they, they lost to the words. But regardless, they were still able to coexist on the floor. And if I'm sorry, if Chris Paul, you know, the point God can exist with James Harden during that time when he was on the Rockets, yep. then I got faith in a lot of players being able to share the court together. But Chris, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show and previewing this game with me. And Knicks Nation, salute to all of you for tuning in. Please make sure to hit that thumbs up button for your boys and please make sure to catch out Tune in, I should say, to uh, Knicks Fan Post Game Live. And also, we'll be at the 4040 Club uh, on Saturday for Game 1. Jay-Z's 4040 Club doing the pregame, halftime, postgame, and JD's play-by-play. So make sure to tune in or come through, and we'll catch you later, Knicks Nation. We out. 
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com